You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, Michael. Welcome to Inside Healthcare again. Appreciate you being here. Well, let's start with, obviously, what everyone's talking about. They want to know how COVID is affecting NCQA, and and you as a physician probably have some insight on what uh, clinicians are dealing with some. You've heard from the field, and we also want to talk a little bit this podcast about telehealth because, like it or not, it's become the key way for especially primary practices to deliver care in this quarantined crisis. So uh, tell us about NCQA and COVID and what the the company is doing and uh, what your leadership is doing to sort of keep us on track. Sure. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for the opportunity to speak with you today. I think like many companies, we're watching the the rollout of an infection across the world and sort of anticipated that it would eventually come into our region of the country, and obviously everybody knows that it did. Uh, unfortunately for NCQA, um, we already were well established in terms of virtual telework and work from home for a significant percentage of our, our staff, uh, and rollout of a virtual work environment for the rest of the staff went reasonably smoothly. And we're very fortunate that everybody is working at home well, and we have the connectivity and infrastructure to support that. And as far as workload and capacity and responsiveness to all our contracts, grants, HEDIS, health plan, accreditation, and so on. We're ready and open for business and doing everything we can to be supportive of all of our major stakeholders. And so that's that's a good thing. Obviously, we are very sensitive to the effect of COVID and the pandemic on healthcare professionals and clinicians and health systems, delivery systems, and health plans. And in concert with CMS, and uh, health plans have, have adjusted our expectations for 2020, and to be honest, for 2021. All of our guidance and all of those decisions, which change fairly frequently based upon the guidance we receive, are posted on ncqa.org slash COVID. The listeners, listeners who want to hear or see what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is worth mentioning that website more than once because certainly a lot of folks are uh, calling about it. It's www.ncqa.org slash COVID, uh, C-O-V-I-D, and there's all kinds of updates, and it happens, it updates fairly regular, right, Michael? It, it updates almost daily. Still in the first couple of three weeks, and hopefully less frequently now, but yes, it's, it's updated and posts are there, and I believe our uh, our email that we send out to stakeholders also includes links and, and the high-level summaries of some of the changes. Okay. And we, uh, you know, also it's worth noting that there are lots of updates, uh, especially for primary care uh, practices and uh, PCMHs on our blog at blog.ncqa.org. Lots of COVID information there as well. Now, one thing that's happened during this uh, crisis, Michael, is you've pitched in a little bit. You're doing a little um, seeing patients, a few, because you have a lot of other priorities we understand at NCQA. And you've done that via telehealth. Tell us about that experience. Well, for, for your listeners, I'm an internist. I trained at Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Medical Center in Rush for residency in New York University for medical school and practiced for many years um, in a military and an academic environment at, at Vanderbilt, community health center in Baltimore, and then part-time in some academic medical centers in a small private practice, too, for a little bit of time. But essentially gave up practice, um, face-to-face practice, about four years ago. 
after sort of cutting down over many years and thought that telehealth was something I'd like to explore at the time. And there was a particular platform that was standing up and asking for physicians to get credentialed in their community, in my community, which is Maryland. Um, and so I did the credentialing and then got trained, for, but honestly, for several years, never saw a person on that platform. I had tried. Uh, there wasn't a lot of visits, and I, my schedule wasn't permissive for me to be on there for many hours. And and it was, you know, a good idea, and I kept saying, well, you know what, I'm not doing it. I'm going to just tell them to, to, to nix my credentials and let them lapse. And then about six months ago, I thought about you know, whether I should do it. Again, was about ready to send them to uh, take me off. But I stuck with it, actually, it's probably because I was too lazy to send an email. And then the pandemic hit. And I thought, you know, if there's ever a time I'm going to do telehealth, now would be a good time to start. So having not practiced for four years, having not done any telehealth visits, and not really experienced the platform in quite some time, I spent the last two, three weeks sort of getting up to speed on medicine, mm -hmm. uh, the key, key issues that I need to deal with in a telemedicine environment, predominantly urgent care, but primary care all the guidelines about COVID-19 and what the treatments are, which were rapidly changing, and did some training sessions, experimented. And so at this point, I've only seen five patients, two of which were audio only because I couldn't connect via the video, which tells you a little bit something about the system. Right. But I'm really impressed with the opportunity here. And, again, I'm not speaking as an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but tele telemedicine, telehealth, the more general term, has tremendous promise, always has had tremendous promise. And seeing that now with the inability of people to access their bricks and mortar care. And you want to keep people out of the emergency department because that's where the high prevalence of other people who are infected, not just with COVID, but with other conditions, other, other infections and other more serious conditions, you want to be able to keep them out of the emergency department, get them care they need in this crazy environment. And I think that's why you're seeing this resurgence of interest and, and making telehealth and telemedicine more permissive, both in terms of the kinds of visits you can do, uh, licensing across state lines, licensed legitimately in Maryland and District of Columbia because of the emergency situations. I now have licenses in Iowa, Indiana, what was the latest one, several other states by virtue of the, the permissiveness that has been granted to allow people to get care when they need it. Mm -hmm. Now, whether that sticks after the pandemic resolves? Probably not, but just shows you the capacity and the capability of us to respond and how telemedicine can really be part of that response. Tell me what you think afterwards uh, COVID-19 will do to that, that uh, opportunity to make telehealth part of primary care practices, much more a part of primary care practices, I should say. Well, I know that some private practice physicians who never do telehealth have now moved to doing telehealth. And again, because the rules are more permissive in this unusual situation, able to use technologies that they probably couldn't be able, weren't able to use before because of the regulations. I imagine that after the pandemic, those regulations will kick back in. So using HIPAA appropriate sort of telemedicine modalities and platforms will be required as opposed to some of the other platforms that are being allowed now. I think that the experience that clinicians and clinical teams have will help inform their next steps. So get an, an ability to do this. What I've read is, and I'm not there yet, as I said earlier, but it takes 15 to 20 visits for you to get sort of comfortable with the modality. Mm -hmm. Physicians and clinicians and their practice team members get that level of comfort. I imagine that they will start thinking about this as supplementing their bricks and mortar face-to-face -face encounters. I think that could be really important for certain populations who have trouble getting access to primary care, transportation issues, 
scheduling issues, even just to add to the management. So if you if they're a patient of yours and you're a physician and you want your nurse or somebody to reach out using a telemedicine visit to help ensure that folks are able to um, get the, able to take the medications or doing the, the, the care plan that you'd agreed upon as opposed to having them come into the visit. I think telemedicine is one good way to facilitate that. Then on the urgent care basis for those folks who need care but don't aren't able to access off hours, for example, telehealth it's an opportunity for them to get that care remotely and have a face-to-face video chat with a clinician and just indeed they do whether they need to go to the emergency department as opposed to sort of assuming that just going. So, so I think they're in an opportunity to provide care via telemedicine. Do you, do you think, though, physicians like you uh, who are practicing, uh, do you think uh, they will adopt it more easily now because they've been forced to adopt it during the crisis? Or do you think they go back to habits? I think there was probably an underlying level of interest, but because of the reimbursement mechanisms and because of the challenges with getting this paid for, especially where physicians are still on a fee-for-service environment and less so in a sort of a value-based payment environment, then the, the economics didn't make it something that many clinicians were interested in doing. To the extent that some of the rules that were relaxed in the reimbursement um, policy that we'll put in place to help support this rapid expansion of telemedicine continue, I think an associated interest in clinicians when things move back to close to normal or back to post-pandemic or pandemic levels, I should say. I think it will be part of the future of healthcare as long as the policies that are put into play, which will be modified because they'll put in play rapidly and to respond to the urgency. Mm-hmm supportive of the environment and economics to do telemedicine. Uh, One thing I know for sure, and this is a shameless plug for quality talks, one of the speakers is Peter Yellowleaf, and he specializes in uh, sort of treating physician and physician fatigue is is his big, and technology. So he meets right here at that crossroads. Will it make it easier for doctors once they get through the 15 to 20? Does it feel less like work? <laughs> oh, I don't know if it feels less like work in my limit, very limited experience. It's still yeah. taking care of people. There's still that responsibility of caring for people. You know, it really depends upon the practice. So if, if it's an extension of a bricks and mortar practice, and you have a relationship with the person and you can manage some of the care remotely uh, with your team, not just falling on the, the shoulders of every physician or nurse practitioner or physician assistant, but sort of the broader team, the nurses and so on, then it could be a way to help the practice focus on those people who do need the face-to-face encounter, be somewhat rewarding and and depressurize the volume-based environment. Again, if the model for reimbursement supports that, right? Mm -hmm. On a fee-for-service environment, you get paid by the people you see, and there is no or limited reimbursement for telemedicine, you're not going to see it stick because have to pay the bills. The practices have to pay the bills. I'm hopeful that won't be the case, that this will be sort of of an enduring part of practice going forward. Then there's the urgent care model where, you know, that's kind of what I do because I don't have a bricks and mortar practice. I'm not part of a bricks and mortar practice, but if I can help support in this particular case people to the emergency department, so there's an opportunity there. And you see a lot of clinicians on the platform I'm on, you can see there are multiple new clinicians asking questions about of the veterans, how do you do this? Do you do a physical exam with this particular condition? 
the limitations of medication prescribing and so on. Really cool. Now, in an urgent care platform, you can't audit laboratory tests. But if I'm in a regular practice and have my electronic health record and all its capabilities, and I'm using a telemedicine platform to engage a person, then it's a different way of practicing than what I'm able to do currently. Therein lies one of the answers to your question. If telemedicine is sort of a separate parallel process for a clinician in his or her practice, get the uptake unless it's integrated with their current systems. And there are some like that. And I, it would be interesting to see post-pandemic which models actually survive better than others in terms of the use of telemedicine. One last question before you go, Michael. Tell us um, sort of your overall assessment of, I know you've been deep in the, in the NCQA COVID and reacting and that sort of thing, but tell me about the overall country. Does it surprise you that the country has been somewhat even going beyond its leaders in some cases uh, in social distancing and taking that up? Are you surprised that people are really doing this? It appears at this point to sort of be working. It doesn't make the disease go away, but certainly slows the spread for hospitals. Um, does that surprise you? Then? And what's your overall assessment about the whole thing? I think people really respect you and want to hear that. Well, and I think you know, people who are paying attention are scared. I had to convince my 82-year-old father not to go shopping on a regular basis, uh, and it took a few times. And I've heard other people who have parents that age who had a lot of a lot of um, challenges explaining to their elder parents to be careful. I think the messaging has gone out, and people now seem to understand that. You're starting to see some indications that the curve has flattened or will flatten shortly, but it's going to vary across the country. And I think until there is a, um, an available medication to reduce the severity of the illness and infections, ultimately a vaccine, we're still going to need to be really careful about the social distancing. And hopefully that message is going out and people are, are abiding by it, and again, you're starting to see that. I'm concerned that in the interest of trying to restart the economy, that things will unravel or, or the social distancing will be lessened quickly and we'll see a resurgence. And I think there's some evidence this, that's happening in other countries that have relaxed that. You know, I, there are a lot of people who are thinking about how, how can we intelligently and safely start to get back some parts of the country and some parts of the economy going. I'm not an expert in that, but I, I just think from a public health perspective, we ought to be really careful. I'm also concerned about all my healthcare professional colleagues. Some of them are at the front lines, and I'm not one of them right now, but they're out there doing the best they can to take care of their patients uh, and the families, everybody from the nurses, the medical assistants, and the, the technicians uh, are really out there, and we need to consider them and sort of make sure that we do the best to, to reduce the amount of exposure they get. And that's in part sort of the social distance, keeping fewer people getting infected. Um, and giving them, of course, as everybody knows, the supplies that they need to, to do the care that's appropriate. Well, thank you, Michael. We will make it through this. NCQA will make it, certainly, with you and Peggy at the helm, a great leadership team and great people working to adjust to all of this. Uh, and we as a country will make it. Let's hope that everyone uh, does listen to these warnings, does stay home, and does their part uh, to put it away. And let's hope that the testing rolls around so we can sort of get a little bit of control on this. We thank you for joining us for Inside Healthcare, and uh, we certainly will have you back again, Michael. Thank you. So much, Matt.